Well, my guess is, is that video probably got your wheels turning maybe just a little bit. And so let, let's turn that question on you here for just a second. What makes you happy? What, what, what makes you happy? What, what's kind of like that first thing that jumps to your mind? Uh, as it turns out, as, as I was processing this, there's apparently a lot that makes me happy. In fact, so much so that I, I made a list for all of you so that you can peer a little bit into my brain. I, I know this is maybe a little bit of a scary thought here, but, but here's a list, not, not everything, but some of the stuff that makes me happy. Of course, Jesus is on there. I'm a pastor. I mean, I'll be honest, it was not actually the first thing that I wrote down, but I quickly bumped him to the front of the list because I, I didn't want you guys to think that I was, you know, a heretic or something, okay? Deer hunting, uh, really enjoy deer hunting. Date nights, how, however those kind of manifest themselves with my wife, whether that's like going out on a canoe, uh, whether that's boating, whether, whether that's going out to some restaurant. Love spending time with just my wife and I, uh, especially now with three kids, those nights are rare. Uh, wakeboarding, I've always liked wakeboarding. It's taken on a whole new meaning now with like young children. I'll put them in between my legs and wakeboard with them and that's a blast. Uh, Chipotle, if you don't like Chipotle, I just, I can't really understand. There, there are people out there, believe this uh, or not, that there are people out there that would prefer Qdoba over Chipotle. I assume that they also eat dogs and cats as well. Uh, shirtless Malachi. Uh, Malachi is, is my son, and randomly, he just comes up to me. He's like, Dada, can I take my shirt off? And I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, you can take your shirt off. And then he's just like ripping around in the yard with no shirt, so I'm pretty into that. Uh, kayaking, that's again fun with my kids. I put them in between my legs. We go all over the lake, and in the summer months, they'll jump off and stuff. Aldi, uh, Aldi has gotten some real recognition here this morning. I love Aldi. I love the amount of money that Aldi saves me, and I love the efficiency of Aldi. You are in and out of the grocery store so fast. Uh, Grumlaw, I obviously really love this church. Uh, skateboarding, uh, Chick-fil-A, we are, we are praying daily that they will finally bring a Chick-fil-A to this area. We need one bad. Uh, burning boxes. Uh, as it turns out, all little kids, uh, all little boys anyway, I'm pretty sure they all love setting things on fire. Uh, as it turns out for me, that never has really gone away. So I, I don't recycle. Hopefully y'all don't think I'm terrible for that. I just burn my boxes and I, I actually enjoy doing that. Uh, Logan being a weirdo, Logan is my oldest child, my daughter. Uh, and she does these things where she just comes running up to me and she'll make these weird faces and noises. And it's totally to just get a reaction out of me. And and if I start laughing, she just keeps doing it more. Oftentimes this happens at night as I'm putting her to bed and uh, it's probably a stall tactic on her part, but it's awesome. Northern Michigan lakes, I'm convinced that Northern Michigan uh, in the summer months, and I've traveled a lot through my life all throughout the world. I, I think it's about the most pretty, uh, most beautiful place on the planet. Uh, and then lastly, certainly not least, the office, some good old Michael Scott and some Dwight. Uh, I'm pretty convinced that I'll be 80 years old and still watching reruns of the office. So this kind of right here in a nutshell is, is kind of what makes me happy. It's not a complete list, but it's a pretty good start. Uh, hopefully you just took a screenshot of your TV, your phone, or, or your laptop for reference. Uh, this is kind of your pastor in a nutshell. For, for some of you, uh, this is only further cemented that this is exactly the church that you need to be a part of. For others, well, it was, it was a fun ride. Now, now, what really does break my heart, what, what frustrates me at times, what has certainly even made me angry at times, is that God has gotten this reputation for, for a lot of people. And so if I'm about to describe you, I promise you that you're not alone. That, that for a lot of people, God's gotten this reputation that he's anti-fun. That, that, that he's anti pretty much everything that makes you happy. That, that God is all about rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and, and thou shall and thou shalt not. My, my first job out of college, I was working at a camp in, uh, in Vermilion, Ohio, uh, called Beulah Beach. Uh, it's uh, right there on Lake Erie. It's about the only place in Ohio that you would actually want to live. 
Uh, and, and one of the things that we had there were these golf carts uh, for full-time staff members to kind of get us around the camp property. It was a, a lot of land. And uh, the second summer I was working there, we got a golf cart uh, for the maintenance department. And it was kind of like bigger tires, raised up, lifted up a little bit, had a truck bed on it. And uh, one of the things that we were really excited about, again, was the practicality, but we also figured, okay, this would be really useful for the maintenance department. Uh, but as it turned out, once it was delivered, this thing was like slow, like as slow as slow get, gets. It was like a power wheel that's constantly running out of battery and nobody really wanted to drive it because you felt like you could just walk next to it and move faster. Um, and, and I remember one day that, that somebody at the camp like casually mentioned, hey, it probably has a governor on it. And I was like, a governor what? And he's like, a, a governor. You know, it's like these devices they, they put on, you know, golf carts and mopeds and motorcycles, you know, in order to slow them down, in order to keep them safer. But if you pop that governor off, it'll probably go a little bit faster. And I was like, can you tell me where this governor is at? And so he lifts up the seat and in a matter of seconds, he had the sucker ripped off. And all of a sudden, this slow golf cart it ripped. Like, it went really fast. It was like the fastest one we had. In fact, it was kind of reckless because it was kind of top-heavy. If you took turns too fast, like, you were going to roll that sucker. And, and for a lot of you who are watching right now, that is your perception of God. God is basically the governor on your golf cart known as life. T today, we're continuing in a series titled, I, I Want to Believe, But... And the reason that we're doing this series is because we have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of you who are watching right now, you, you want to believe in God, but, but there are just certain obstacles, there are certain questions, there are certain hurdles that you have just been unable to get past. Or for some of you, you thought that you believed in God at some point. But, but, but as you got older, you have been unable to reconcile your real life adult experiences with the version of God that you have been presented with. And, and so we've just kind of thought as a church, rather than just ignoring this stuff, rather than ignoring these obstacles, these questions that a lot of us have, let, let, let's talk about it. And, and today, as we've already alluded to, today we're going to be talking about killjoy God. This anti-fun, this anti-have-a-good-time version, this, this judgmental version of God who wants to put a governor on your life. And, and, and if you're watching this right now, and, and you have lost faith in kill joy God, that is such a good thing because hot news, kill joy God does not exist. It, it is okay to stop believing and, and to walk away from kill joy God. And as best as I can this morning, I'm going to try to show you where this distorted version of God comes from. And, and spoiler alert, it's actually the church's fault. And instead, present to you who the God of Jesus actually is. That he isn't a God who seeks to make things really complicated. He isn't a God who seeks to burden us with rules, but he actually wants to give you incredible freedom. Uh, by the way, if you haven't been with us for the entirety of this series, uh, today is actually part three of four. Uh, and for that reason, I really, really encourage you to head over to grumlaw.com slash messages and catch yourself up there. You can listen to the messages there. You can watch the messages there. Last week, we tackled a que question that I believe to be the greatest obstacle to people believing in God. The, this kind of age-old question of why would a good God allow such terrible things to happen in this world? In part one of the series, we talked about on-demand God, that, that you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray, and God never seems to give you what you're asking for. What's up with that? 
These are, these are questions that likely every single one of you have asked at some point. And so again, I'd really encourage you uh, during this series, I've got so much positive feedback. Uh, a lot of people thanking me, new to church, been at church their entire lives, thanking me like, hey, we appreciate you tackling these questions. These are questions that I've always wanted to see get answered. So again, grumlaw.com slash messages or find us under Grumlaw Church wherever you happen to grab your podcast. But before we dive any further into this today and to kill joy, God, uh, allow me to just take a second here right on the front end and pray for all of us. God, I thank you uh, that you are a God that is so for us and I pray that, that people today would see that. That, that you're not against them, that you don't seek to burden us down with rules and regulations and laws, um, but you're a God who is, who is for us and wants incredible freedom for every single one of our lives. And so God, just speak to us, and I just pray that we would all be open to whatever it is that you want to say here today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, this question. Where did we get this boring, nice, safe, rule-following version of God from? Uh, and again, the answer, maybe it surprises you. It's, it's religion. It's, it's from the church. Now, uh, religion, and again, th- this might be a surprise to some of you, religion was never supposed to be a part of what we now refer to as Christianity. Jesus, in fact, did not come to earth to give us religion, actually quite the opposite. Now, now when I say religion, and even when you describe religion, what we're actually referring to is this. It's man-made rules meant to please or win back favor with God. And see what happens when we become obsessed with trying to win back God's favor. It is a hopeless endeavor. The, the, The striving is never going to cease as imperfect people like me Try to get back to an equal standing with a perfect God. So ultimately what happens is religion focuses on the external rather than the internal. And Jesus, wouldn't you know it, throughout his time on earth, he made it a point to almost exclusively focus on the internal and he almost neglected the external. In fact, the only people, the only people that, that, that Jesus would lose it on during his time on earth. The, the people that he virtually had zero patience for were, were, were these hyper-religious, rule-following people that thought better of themselves because they were so good at following the rules. Ch- chances are you, you watching right now, you have probably had many an encounter with a religious, hypocritical person who is judgmental, self-righteous, arrogant, And you, like Jesus, you've thought to yourself, if that's what Christianity is all about, I want nothing to do with it. It's like swipe left. But but, but here's where this is born out of. We we have a a holy God up here and and an unholy me, meaning I I haven't always done what is right. And, And so in an effort to get myself back into a right standing with God, unholy people like me and you will try to close this gap with outward human effort, with religious acts. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to give some of my money away. And about once a year, I'm going to go help at that mission. I'm going to serve at church. Or so often we get hung up on the knots. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to watch that. And I'm certainly not going to associate with any people who do any of those things. And so if I do or don't do, maybe, maybe I'll get to be made right with God. And, And Jesus during his time on earth, he tells us over and over and over again, don't do that. Stop focusing on the external. 
the do's and the don'ts. Because if you do, you will soon become like the Pharisees, these religious elite, a bunch of arrogant, self-righteous, religious hypocrites who on the outside seem squeaky clean, but inside they are filthy. For the religious elite of Jesus's day, the, the, the rules had become their God. If you spend any amount of time reading this book that we call the Bible, one of the things you'll hear referenced an awful lot is this thing called the law. And and the law is specifically referencing the 613 rules, the 613 laws within the Old Testament law, within the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. And, And to make matters even worse, there were thousands of more oral laws tacked up on top of the 613 original laws that were meant to further clarify the, the original Old Testament law. And the religious people had made it their lifelong ambition to follow these rules perfectly. And I'm telling you, if you don't believe me, read it for yourself. This religion, this this striving, this rule following, it made Jesus want to rip his hair out. Here's just one example of Jesus addressing these religious people. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For, for you're like whitewashed tombs. I mean, he's comparing them to graves. Beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. If you've ever thought to yourself, I want to believe in God, but there are just too many rules. There are too many laws. There are too many restrictions. I I think it should comfort you to know that Jesus felt the exact same way. This isn't the heart of the God that we talk about here on Sunday mornings. It might be the heart of of gods of other religions, but, but not Jesus. Killjoy God does not exist. I am so glad that you do not think very highly of Killjoy God. I am so glad that you have walked away from Killjoy God. Now, arguably the greatest uh, religious rule follower that ever lived is a guy who went by the name of Paul. Uh, Paul belonged to a sect of Judaism, uh, as alluded to here, known as the Pharisees. They they practiced this very, very strict adherence to the law. They tried to keep the law as closely uh, as anyone on the planet. And and Paul was among the best. When, When it came to following these religious laws, he was better than anyone. In fact, when this new movement known as Christianity kind of stepped into the ancient Mediterranean world, uh, Paul saw it as a direct affront to these laws, as a direct affront to Judaism. And so he had kind of made it his life's work to go around and eviscerate Christianity from the face of the earth. But then through an event that only God could have possibly orchestrated, his life pulls a complete 180 and he ends up putting his faith in Jesus. He, He abandons the rule following and he chooses instead for the easier, the simpler path of Jesus. And Paul, reflecting back on all that rule following in his early letter to the Christian church in Rome, he says this. He says, for no one, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. And he had tried. He he had worked so hard to, to earn that, to be made right with God by following the law, but yet he kept falling short. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now, when you know it, now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. And this was a showstopper. People are leaning and going, oh, you're telling me, I-, I can be made right with God 
And it doesn't involve like meticulously following perfectly these 613 laws as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. What else? That's it. And this is true for everyone. And that everyone, it includes you, you who are watching right now. It's true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. There is so much truth that is packed into just these three simple verses here from the lips of Paul. But there's kind of a couple points that I just want to pull out of this. Number one is this, you cannot, you cannot earn God's acceptance by obeying the law. No, no, no matter how many good works you do, no, no, no matter how much bad you avoid, no, no matter how hard you try, th- th- this is not the path to acceptance with God. Uh, again, Paul writes here, he says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. And again, I'm telling you, he understood this better than anyone. He he was better at following the rules, at following the law than anyone who had ever walked the face of the earth. And he's going, and I still fell short. I just couldn't do it. And and if I'm honest, as I read this, I I think this should all cause us to just breathe this this sigh of relief. Because it's impossible to follow the rules perfectly. It can't be done. But, But it does kind of bring up the question, well, The law did come from God. I mean, God did give the law, these rules to the ancient, you know, Jewish people. So so why? What's the purpose of the law if if it's impossible for us to keep those laws, to keep those rules perfectly? And that kind of leads us to truth number two here. It's the, the purpose of the law is to show you your need for a savior. See, any of you who have been a part of this church thing for really any period of time, and whether you've admitted it or not, you've probably already figured it out, that that try and try and try and try as hard as you might, you just keep on breaking the rules. You just keep on sinning. I, I mean, you really try to keep up your end of the bargain, but yet you continually fall short. No one, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law, here's the purpose of the law. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Now, this right here is a really common piece of pushback for for people, particularly in our 21st century uh, American society. There's this widespread belief that, that I'm not a bad person. That, that, that people, come on, people are all inherently good. As a pastor, if I just want to tick off a whole bunch of people right at once, I could hop up on the stage and tell all of you watching right now, you are all a bunch of sinners. And if I did that, that would be met with a whole lot of, don't judge me, who do you think you are? How dare you say something like that about me? But, but see, as, as Paul is pointing out here, this is the value of the law. This is the value of the rules. It it, it reveals to all of us that we are, as much as we don't want to admit it, we are sinners. And and yeah, you might not be as bad as another person. And by the way, we love doing this as human beings. We love comparing. And yes, you could always find someone who is seemingly worse than you. I've had so many conversations with people where we're we're speaking those hard truths into their life and they know what they're doing is wrong. And and quickly they they come to that side of the argument. They start comparing. They're like, well, this morning on the news, I 
heard about a guy that killed three people. I'm not as bad as him. It's like, okay, yeah, I guess you're not as bad as him, but that's quite the standard you have going for yourself. You, you might not be as bad as another person, but compared to the standard, compared to the perfection of God, you fall short. You, you do sin. And if you're watching right now and you're still kind of defiantly holding your ground saying, no, no, I, I am a good person. I'm not a sinner. I mean, yeah, I make some mistakes here and there, but, but I don't sin even though you're kind of indicting yourself by trying to defend that claim right now because you are lying and, and that's a sin. But, but, but just in case you're still holding on to that idea, I'm, I'm a good person. Jesus actually comes along onto the scene and he raises the bar even higher Jesus comes along and he says things like this. He says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. And Christian or not, if you're watching right now, I think we would all agree that cheating on our spouse, that adultery is wrong. But Jesus says, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And just like that, there goes every single guy who has ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus comes along and he raises the bar so high that nobody makes a passing grade. Now, now you might be listening right now thinking, okay, hold on, time out. I thought you said that Jesus was anti-rules. It doesn't seem like it. Like if he's throwing comments around like that, stay with me. Jesus is trying to bring every single one of us into a place of self-awareness. He's trying to get all of us to, to, to a place where we are at least honest with ourselves and recognize how hopeless we are. He, he's trying to help all of us recognize just how big that gap is between us sinful people and, and our holy, our perfect God. That, that, that as much as our society might try to beat into our heads that, that we're good, that you got this, and if you just set your mind to it, you, you can do it, you can overcome it deep down, and again, you don't need to admit it to anybody else, deep down, you know that that is a pile of crap. You, you know you fall short. And, and the reason that Jesus is trying to bring us to this painful realization it isn't because he's trying to lord it over us. He, it's not because he's, he, he's trying to, to make us feel bad about ourselves or make him feel better about himself. It's because, and if you've been showing up to Grumlaw for any period of time, you've probably heard me say this before, and until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see a need for a savior. You're not gonna see a need for Jesus. See, see if the story ended there, with, with all of us just realizing how hopeless we are, I mean, yikes, right? I mean, <laughs> that'd be pretty depressing. I mean, G Jesus comes along and he raises the bar so high that nobody makes a passing grade, but rather than stopping there, he then extends the very thing that sinful people deserve the least. Forgiveness. Grace. Mercy. Love. So yes, being branded a sinner... I get it. it, it probably feels a bit uncomfortable, but, but until you get to that point, you're not gonna see a need for Jesus. And then, what I feel is the best part of all of this, you're made right with God by faith in Christ alone, by faith in Jesus alone. It doesn't happen by religious works, not, not by trying harder, 
but by placing your trust, your faith, your belief, synonymous terms in Jesus. We're made right with God, Paul tells us, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone, including you, everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That everyone includes you. No matter how bad your past looks, the choices you've made, what you've done, it does not matter who you are. You, you who are watching right now, you don't need religion. You've probably already figured that out. You need Jesus, and that's it. Not Jesus plus good works, not Jesus plus religious efforts. No, no, Jesus and Jesus alone. And, and, and listen, I understand this is hard for us to wrap our heads around because nowhere else in our lives are we shown this type of acceptance but by simply trusting in something. It's almost impossible to comprehend that the God of the universe would make the standard so simple that he cut through all the religion and created a direct path back to him through his son. That the way that you would be declared righteous and again, it comes down to faith, belief, trust. Do you believe that the God of the universe sent down his one and his only son to die for you, to pay the penalty for your sins? But that three days later, he didn't stay dead, that, that he rose from the grave. And, and we're told over and over again that by putting our faith in Jesus, we get that right standing back. He, he covers your sins with his perfection that the sin problem, that you have no ability, no ability to solve yourself. This past week, I don't even remember why or how it got brought up, uh, but I was sitting with John, our music director, and his wife, Maddie, and I actually think it was Maddie. Maddie brought up this, this show, Pimp My Ride. Anybody remember Pimp My Ride? Am I allowed to say pimp in church? I just did. Okay, there's a show, Pimp My Ride, back on, on, on MTV, and uh, the, the basic premise of the, ser- the the show would go like this, like, you know, Exhibit, who's this rapper, he would show up at your house and you would have like some terrible beater vehicle, like the kind of car that you like put your hood up and sunglasses on, you don't even want to be seen in it. I mean, like the worst of the worst vehicles. And, and he would take these horrible, beat up, destroyed cars and Exhibit and his crew in just a matter of days. I mean, they, they would completely redo these vehicles. I mean, they, they were unrecognizable and it wasn't like they would just restore them to their original condition. It, it was something entirely different. I mean, they're putting like jacuzzis and flat screens and like fish tanks in cars. Something completely different, something completely new. In most cases, the, these people so excited, they'd run in, they'd be like, this can't be my car. There, there is no way that this is my vehicle. And, and Jesus, and please don't think less of me because I'm making an analogy here kind of between Jesus and exhibit, but Jesus, <laughs> he, he takes his perfection and he wraps it around us. He doesn't just cover it up. He erases it. He makes us entirely new so that God doesn't even see our sin anymore. But when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's why if we are in Christ, we are a new, an entirely new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. Religion is all about what I do, how I perform. Christianity is all about what Jesus has already done. Religion's all about me, 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 me. Christianity is all about Jesus. 
R- religion, some of you really need to hear this. Religion is all about if I obey, if I do the rules, if I, thou shall and thou shall not, then maybe, maybe, just maybe, God might love me. But, but Christianity, such a big differentiation. Christianity is all about, because of what Christ has done for me, because of how he has shown his love to me when he came and he died on a cross for me, I willingly choose to obey. It's in fact the only reasonable response to what Jesus has done for me. I think arguably the greatest example that we can find of of this is uh, in John chapter 8. And it's this scene where where Jesus and it's a bunch of religious leaders and this crowd just kind of starts going crazy. And all of a sudden, this woman is thrust in front of the crowd. And they take this opportunity to kind of test Jesus. They say, Jesus, and it's all these religious elite, all these people that are really good at following the rules. and, And they say, Jesus, the law says, the law says, because this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and she's guilty, she admits she's wrong. She knew what the law says. The law says, because she was caught in the act of adultery, we are allowed to stone her. We're, about to, we're allowed to throw rocks at her until she dies. But Jesus, what do you say? And Jesus takes a minute, kind of kneels down, and he thinks about it. And he says, yeah, if, if, if that's what the law says, then absolutely. I, I, I don't stand in opposition to the law. I mean, after all, God gave you the law. Yeah, if, if that's what the law says, then absolutely. Throw rocks at her until she dies. But... How about this one little caveat? How about whoever is without sin, how about that person throws the first rock? How about whoever in this crowd has never violated the law, how about that person throws the first rock? And wouldn't you know it, one by one, the crowd slowly dissipates until it's just Jesus and this woman there. And it says, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Where was that big crowd of religious rule-following people? Didn't even one of them condemn you? I mean, the, the law says you're guilty. The law says we should get to throw rocks at you until you die. And she says, no, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And in the very next verse, the woman replies, you've got to be kidding me. Another rule? That's not what it says. I made that up. And and, and honestly, we're not really given like this biographical account as to where this lady's life went from here. But I can almost guarantee you that she started living differently. That, That dare I say it, she started following the rules. She she stopped sinning in that way. Why would she do that? Is it because she suddenly became obsessed with following the rules? Of course not. No, no, no. She, she willingly chose to obey in response to what Jesus had done for her. It's the only reasonable response to the forgiveness and the mercy that was just offered to her by Jesus. Overcome with gratitude because she was forgiven, she willingly chose to live her life differently. And on top of that, she was just smart enough to recognize that that is what was best for her. Because where had her sin, where where had her violating the rules gotten her to that point? Where where has your sin gotten for you? (laughs) 
Jesus' way is just, it's just better. See, the reason that Jesus tells us things like don't lie and, and don't steal and, and don't commit sexual sin isn't because he's about rules. It's because he is for you. And he knows that all of that kind of behavior, it leads to regret and heartache and it damages you and it damages the people around you and it damages the relationships around you. See, Jesus came along and he reduced the 613 laws contained within the Jewish scriptures and he brought it down to two. He's like, you don't have to worry about 613 anymore. You don't have to worry about all those oral laws. And I'm gonna make this really, really simple for all of you. It's two rules now. Love God, love people. Some of you have never realized this before. The Bible was never meant to be a complete list. It was never meant to be this complete list of do's and don'ts. It's just a bunch of examples of how you ought to live out loving God and loving people. Can you even imagine what would change in your life if you ran everything through that filter? Love God, love people. Can you imagine how much better the people around you would be for it? Can you imagine how much better your marriage would be, your relationship with your children would be, how much better your coworkers would be? Can you imagine how much better you would be if you ran everything through love God, love people? Do not be so naive. Do not be so stubborn. The God of the universe has your best interest in mind. He is for you. And if you ever doubt that, remember, he died for you. He gave his one and his only son on a cross for you. And people, generally speaking, don't go around dying for people that they don't desperately care about, that they don't desperately love. What what, what religion complicates with rules, Jesus, he simplifies with love. And listen, last thing I'm going to say here, and I promise I'll be done. I, I, I know for some of you, the idea of following God's ways and submitting to God, I mean, that just doesn't sit well with you. I'm certainly not arrogant enough to think that some 30-minute conversation is going to completely change your mind. And perhaps, and this describes a lot of people, the, the, the reason you wrote off God is because you want to you wanna do you. You want freedom. You don't be held down by anything else, but... Come on, whether you realize it or not, you're serving something. Something's your master. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's dating. Maybe it's your image. Maybe it's the endless pursuit of more. But but you are serving. You are striving towards something. And, And with Jesus, and this is the beauty of the gospel, with Jesus, it's the only identity that is received, not achieved. It has nothing to do with your performance. From day one, moment number one with Christianity, you get what every other religion hopes to get you to eventually. It it perhaps sounds counterintuitive, and I get it. But there is such freedom, such freedom following Jesus. The the, the better life that you keep striving for apart from Jesus, the, the, the freedom, by the way, that you're so worried about losing it's always going to fall short. And and, and ironically, the life that you perhaps see full of rules with Jesus is the very life that you so desperately need and whether you realize it yet or not, the life that you desperately want. (laughs) Think about the irony of that. You're so worried about losing something that's never going to take you where you ultimately want to be. Jesus loves you. He's for you. 
And, and he went to enormous lengths to demonstrate that to you when he died on a cross for you. And, and in response to the love that, that he showed every one of us when he gave us himself, the, the only reasonable response is to follow him, to demonstrate that love back to him and to the people around us. Just like the woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus ain't looking to hold you back. I mean, come on, we, myself, you, we all do a plenty good enough job of that on our own. No, no, he's inviting you into the very life, a life of purpose, a life of freedom, a life of joy that every single one of us, that we are all after. After.